Um, do you want to do something right now, just in case I do decide to like chop it? Oh, I'm <laughs> gonna uh, be like, and that's it, people. Yeah. <laughs> that's it for this episode. Yeah. No, that's. I mean, that's. So that's. Well, It'll that's ten through it. six. So we're we're halfway through. We're halfway through. Yeah. Yeah. So. You may or may not be listening to the end of episode one of the top ten of the decade yes. <laughs> series of the couch. Right. Uh, or we're just going to put it all up as a super long. Because we're at two and a half hours now. And yes. We're only halfway through. We're so. only halfway through. <laughs> yeah. I love this. This is really fun. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> I like after listening to Tarantino, like, yeah. talk about movies for like, because each of those, the first two episodes reached like an hour and a half. And then the King okay. of New York one was like two hours. Our uh, the episode we did last year was an hour twenty. Yeah. So yeah, this one's gonna top that. Oh fuck yeah, yeah. yeah. It's gonna be two hours. Mm-hmm. Good. I might I might be able to cut this down a whole lot. Hey, whatever. If it's we'll three hours. Happens. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, I mean, this is gonna be this recording is gonna be five hours. Oh so, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, this is the uh, apocalypse now <laughs> episode of <laughs> the couch. Um. Anyway, okay. All right. Entering the top five. Entering the top five. What do you got for me, Bobby? Number five is the 2013 jam. Ooh, okay. Yeah, I feel like I, I feel have like I have a 2013 jam on my list, and I'm wondering if it's the same jam. It probably is. I bet it. Is. Oh, it's not. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. Okay. So my uh, 20, my number five, 2013 jam is Before Midnight. Ooh, okay. Yeah, it's before. I fig- that's right. I figured this was probably going to show up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Before Midnight, it's a Richard Linklater movie. Um, it's the third in the Before, now called Before Trilogy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had some relationship movies on my list. And I was just trying to think, like, what was the most, like, me relationship movie? Yeah. And not just sort of like a, well, I've fucking been there movie, <laughs> you know, because there was a lot. That's what I ended up, like, dividing it to. Yeah. It was just like, yeah, I've been in that shit before. I guess that's what I did with Bellflower. Did you? Okay. That was, that was my relationship movie on All right. this list, and it was the, yeah, I've been through that <laughs> shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, if nobody's ever seen the Before Trilogy, it's Before uh, Sunrise, Before Sunset. Dorian has not seen it, um, which, you know what? I'm waiting. At this point, I'm just I'm going to watch them with you. No, for sure. You know, I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna, I have them on Criterion. Yeah, this is like bring them by and we're going to do it. You know, not watching not watching fast without Barina. Yes, exactly. Not watching before without Bobby. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it's uh, the third movie in a trilogy before uh, sunrise is the first one before sunset is the second one. And before midnight is the third. Uh, What I like about the series as a whole is that it was never planned as a series. Uh, the writer uh, or the director, Richard Linklater, and the two actors, Ethan Hawke and Julie Dupley, uh, when they did the second one, just decided that they had something they wanted to say about these characters and about the first one is like love in like your 20s. The se- second one is like love in like your 30s. And then the third one is love in like your 40s. That's really cool. Yeah. And um, uh, after after realizing that, you know, the how the first movie ends in my mind, I'm just kind of like, Oh my God, how, how do you, how do you not envision it as like three movies? Mm -hmm. Right. Because of just how, of just where it leaves, it's kind of a bit of a cliffhanger. And so, um, you know, being able to watch those movies one and two on the precipice of when three was coming out, uh, was really exciting because, you know, it's the same characters, it's the same amount of time in movie time and actual 
you know, in mm-hmm. real time as well. So it is like a 10 year gap between each movie. But it just so happens that, you know, the three of them, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, you know, just had something to say about like love at that particular time or wanted to just like revisit these characters and just, you know, talk about it and stuff. And so and uh, yeah, I just 100 percent like absolutely love that movie. And it's a series I can't watch. Like I can't just put on number two. It's like if I decide to watch one, it's like, well, I better lock in for quite a few hours because I'm going to go one through three. Mm-hmm. Like I've always watched them one through three. I've never just picked one and watched it. Right. Yeah. That's cool. So, uh, yeah, my number five is Before Midnight. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'd, uh, I'd, I remember um, when I watched uh, Scenes from a Marriage, uh, mm. Ingmar Bergman, um, originally TV series, miniseries, I guess, and then was edited into a like three-hour feature yeah uh as well um because it's like five hours total five and a half hours or so um but uh i remember when i watched that i immediately was like i feel like this is probably what the before trilogy is going to be like mm-hmm. just based on what you and, and other people had told me you know yeah. kind of about what, what those movies are like and also knowing that link ladder of course is a big you know knows bergman oh, as yeah, well yeah, yeah. and everything and yeah i feel like there's definitely a, <laughs> um you know direct connection there uh-huh. uh, between those things but uh yeah i would love to watch the before trilogy because i've never seen that yes. and then show you scenes from a marriage i know when you described it to me i was like holy shit wait a minute dude it's, and it's so good yeah oh my god yeah it's fucking Just the stuff that you told me about it, i was like this sounds great it's man. unreal yeah. yeah like you know it's on paper the type of thing i would never ever like want to watch <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know yeah. uh and then you watch it and you're like but this is like mastery you uh-huh. know and all in every way, yes. you know, the performances, the writing, the directing, mm-hmm. the cinematography, like it's all perfect. And yeah. like in, in, in unexpected ways too, you know, like there's an element to scenes from a marriage that's like, it's visually, it's like, it's kind of all like very flat. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the, not super flashy the way it's <laughs> shot at all. It's yeah. like, it's, it's horribly like pedestrian actually, yeah. <laughs> but it's perfect. It's absolutely perfect yeah. because a lot of it is designed around letting the actors just work the frame, yeah. you know, or just work the scene without working the frame at all. Because right. again, they're just people. They're yeah. not, this isn't supposed to be like a movie, you mm-hmm. know, it's not like a movie, at least that screams like movie, you know, yeah. to you. <laughs> um, there's like, but there's like a beauty to the mundanity of it, you know, that just yeah. like works and functions so perfectly with the film itself that you're like, this is almost more impressive than like something that is very elegantly like composed. Yeah. Because this is just composed. It's, it's clearly just the right decision, you mm-hmm. know, like every bone in a filmmaker's body is kind of like, uh, but, uh, I want it to like look great, like have this like pop to it and panache. Yeah. And uh, it's like, no, this is just the right decision, yeah. you know, and that comes through in the end. I'm like way more impressed with it because it's like it never tried to like draw my attention away from the fact that like of what's really important here, mm-hmm. which is these people, their relationship. That is definitely you know? that is definitely that series. Like the more I the hearing you describe that, mm-hmm. I'm thinking about those movies and yeah. thinking about how like, well, I, I can't really tell you like, oh, man, there's just one shot in this movie that. Pff, just amazing like i can't right because it's just the focus is them it's not what it's about yeah yeah right you know and you know like the mundanity of just like walking around and talking with somebody you know like it's i don't know i love the movie so much that i just feel like that's kind of like my in if i try to like ask somebody out or get to know somebody is just like yeah i just want to have a conversation i want to see if like you know uh 
you know, I am a romantic, but I just want to see if like that happens, like it clicks that way, you know, yeah. because there's just something a little something so like raw and natural about it that I feel like, you know, we all we all kind of have like facades on sometimes, you know, but um, I'm always really happy when I feel like I can sort of see like a crack in the facade and see something just a bit more real yeah. than like what you're putting in front of me to right. sort of be like you know, whatever, you know, peacocking or something, Yeah, you know. Sometimes feeling a little imperfect is actually kind of makes it more perfect. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. it's a wabi-sabi. You know, <laughs> there's sort of that, like, natural human element to it that yeah, is yeah. going to be some sort of, like, rough around the edges in some way or something, but that right. makes it feel not like something constructed, you uh-huh. know. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's super cool when, when pulled off right. Other yeah, times it's right. just like, oh, this just looks like a shit movie. <laughs> Um, but it's, you know, it's like that's a visual storytelling, like good visual storytelling is about making the right decisions, you know, yeah. for the st- in service of the story. Mm-hmm. And if the story is literally two people talking, yeah, then sometimes the best thing to do is just let us see the two people talking. Yeah. You know, it doesn't have to have this like really high concept, you know, kind of like cross cutting or something where like, you know, the camera is like, oh, who's winning the scene right now? You know, type right, of shit. It's right. like. Just let us watch it, you mm-hmm. know, just let us watch it unfold and make up our own minds, yeah. you know, about what this is. Like, it's kind of nice to have that, like, unbiased view, mm-hmm. um, you know, but just, like, great acting, great dialogue and great, like, directorial support, you right. know, to just make the scene. So, all right. Number five. For you. Number five. For me. Going Korean, y'all. Oh, shit. It's The Handmaiden. All right. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, all right. Number five for me, The Handmaiden, 2016, Park Chan-wook, um, director of Old Boy. Uh, anyway, so prepared comments on The Handmaiden. Uh, of the many, many things that I admire about this film, uh, the one that I admire the most is its ability to turn your own mind against you. Uh, few enough are the films that even credit you for having a brain capable of critical thought, but this one goes even further than that by assuming you have one, a good one even, and then proceeds to punish you for it by weaponizing it against you. Um, in what is unassailably one of the greatest and most subtly while also graphically perverted uses of planting and payoff ever developed in the cinema, uh, deployed in the cinema, excuse me, this film lodged an image in my mind that haunted me for weeks. Uh, I had no recourse but to see the film a couple more times in the theater, and the more I subjected myself to its intimidating confidence and brutal elegance, the uh, clearer it became that what was haunting me wasn't the imagery itself, but the skilled, disciplined hand that expertly deployed that imagery uh, implantation. I think the hand has stuck around uh, as well. I love auteurs because I enjoy being able to uh, peek into someone else's mind, but I'm reasonably certain that this one turned the tables and infiltrated mine instead. Also, how the fuck do you make a movie that's even better than Old Boy? <laughs> that was imp- I mean, nice. when I saw Old Boy, it was yeah. one of those like, well, this is his masterpiece. Yeah, right. You know, there's no way <laughs> you ever top this movie. And then fucking Handmaiden comes out and it's like, this is his masterpiece. Yeah, right. This movie is just like so <laughs> perfectly like self-assured. Yeah. The whole way through. It's I mean, like from frame one, you're just like, I am in the hand of a master right now. Yeah. Like, you just feel it like cupping you. <laughs> Uh, and, and you're excited to see where it's going to take you, you know, Mm. it's like knowing, like, it's one of those movies where it's like, it's fun to be manipulated because it's, I mean, it's also about like, you know, 
con men and con women. Right. Um, so it is about like trickery and like, you know, getting people to believe one thing when you're actually doing something else and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So it's like the way the movie functions, it's in the service of the story. It's not just this like, excuse me to, you know, shit on star Wars once again, like, Oh, you didn't know we could heal each other. Oh shit. <laughs> yeah, we, know, right. we can, we've been able to do this all the time. Yeah. We just never showed it to you before. <laughs> you know, this movie, it feels like, no, it's just, it's putting you in the shoes and it's playing with your position as an audience member of like who you're identifying with in the film, okay. whether you are the predator or the prey. Okay. And you know, it always is shifting that floor underneath you. Yeah. So you never, you think you're the predator and then you realize actually there's something way bigger uh, happening. That's okay. going to, you know, clamp its jaws on you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's it's a very twisty movie. Okay. So I I don't want to say like you know the like I don't want to say that this one particular moment is kind of like the ultimate reveal or payoff of the film, but one of them. Okay. Towards the end of the film, uh-huh. is uh, like I was like I said in my comments, it is it is so perverted. <laughs> 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 okay. And just the the way that it's presented to you though is like it like takes you a second and you're just like, Oh God. <laughs> oh, it's like, you feel your stomach just like turns over. Yeah. You're like, Oh my God. That is all right. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> really went there. Huh? Yeah. Uh, it's crazy. And, it, but it's just, it's genius. Like from a, from like a cinematic storytelling standpoint, I am so in awe of that moment. Like yeah. that's, a, that's what was haunting me. Mm-hmm. I was just like, will I ever be that good of a director? You know, okay. <laughs> <laughs> because that is some fucking master shit, you yeah. know, right there. Like, holy fuck. That's a, that's a, it takes your career to get to something like that. Okay. You know, just really, really unreal. Yeah. And then like, even on subsequent viewings, like kind of knowing it's coming, it's still every time I'm just like, Pfft. yeah. God damn. Yeah. It's like, that's gonna like, <laughs> fuck with me for the next few days. I know it. Oh man. Uh, it's great. And, but it's like, you know, it has all the, you know, it's got everything in it too. Like there's some, you know, really like gallows humor in this movie that okay. is just like fucking spot on. Nice. Like just perfect <laughs> delivery, like timing, delivery, all of it. It's just like, it's just nails it. Yeah. Uh, it's so good. It's just, yeah, again, a very extraordinarily entertaining to watch, uh, movies. So much fun to watch it like unfold and, you know, storyline and, and just also even more impressive because it's actually based on a novel. Um, called The Fingersmith, written by uh, a British woman. Okay. Uh, oh, I feel like does, I remember yeah, you Does not take place in Japanese-occupied Korea no. <laughs> at yeah. all. And uh, I, I think it was Sean, uh, Sean's sister mm-hmm. came with us. She was visiting because it came out around Christmas. Okay. Um, it was playing at Music Box, and I was like, fucking, I saw it by myself, and then I was like, Every, hey, guys, guys. We, we got to go. We got to go. <laughs> right now. Fuck y'all. We're coming. Um made everyone go see it and uh his sister was in town and she was like oh i've actually read that book before i'd yeah. be interested to go see it and we got out of it it's like so <laughs> would you say anything yeah. like it she's like nah nope <laughs> it is very different yeah <laughs> um i think we might have been talking about the goldfinch oh trailer. yeah and because i remember you telling me about because i think we had a conversation about you know uh like adapting things right and how yeah. like it doesn't necessarily need to be like, you know, verbatim in mm-hmm. a way, you know, the exact book, but it's, you know, it's okay to, it's fun and it's okay to like take ideas and themes and, and stuff and just weave them into something completely new. Right. You know, uh, for, for a narrative. Yeah. You know, 
No, I'm actually I'm I'm very interested to uh, to watch the, or to read the book sometime actually. Okay. Because I adore this movie so much. Yeah, yeah. And it's just kind of one of those like I'm, I just kind of want to know like where this came from. Where the, yeah. And again, it's you know it's just cool. I, yeah, I love the way I love how different it is from the source material. Like uh-huh. that's the kind of adaptation that I really gravitate towards. That really is like let's take the spirit and like you know the uh, creative spirit and artistic purpose of this, yeah, and transpose it. You know, especially like that kind of cultural transposition as well. It's like, well, I'm not a British guy, right? You know, I'm not a British woman. I have a different perspective on this. So Mm -hmm. if I transpose, you know, these ideas and concepts and translate them through the culture that I know, yeah, you know, it becomes a much, you know, I can I can do something a lot more personal and something that's going to be a lot more like genuine, probably with that, right? Um, That's what. I think Park Chan-wook did so well here yeah. from what I understand is that you know he translated into a different culture but he actually shifted the story and everything and the characters to fit the culture that he was now speaking about. Yeah. Um cuz yeah, piercing is so fucking Japanese that when you just have two white people doing all the things that <laughs> yeah, the Japanese right. people did in the book, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't make a fucking lick of sense, yeah. you know. Um yeah, so anyway, uh <laughs> The Handmaiden, my number five, fucking sweet. Love this fucking movie. All right, so much. I got, I got, I we, I think we both have some pretty, pretty good stuff to start twenty twenty yeah. off with. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, I know. Um, you hanging out tonight? Are we watching movies or well, what? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> we'll uh, probably wrap this up around the time Hannah gets Hannah home. Gets home. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so we're uh, what are we at number four? Right, uh, that was correct. your number five. Yes. Okay. Um. Uh, my number four 2014 pick is uh, Interstellar. Ooh, nice. Okay. Hell yeah. uh, I did have Inception. It's a little Nolan. I was I was vacillating between those two yeah. at one point as well. Yeah. I yeah. was kind of like, fuck. So this movie touched me a little emotionally. It was around the time I had an ex-girlfriend and we were going to have a kid. And uh, she had a miscarriage and it didn't end up going. And so uh, we were still dating and we had this weekend where, like, she wanted to go to the museum. So we, we did the museum, and then I was just like, okay, but we got to do, I got to go see Interstellar. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, and it was before IMAX got redone. So that I watched it on 70 millimeter film at IMAX. Yeah. And um, I mean, visually, it was amazing. But, you know, this story about a father and a daughter just like really hit me mm-hmm. because we knew we were going to have a girl. And uh, it just hit me in like a way deeper way than like I kind of uh, imagined it would. Mm-hmm. And uh, I also like there were some other movies that were in my list that uh, a lot of uh, well, two movies, um, Another Earth and I Origins were also floating around in in my list. Mm-hmm. And uh, these three movies, Interstellar and those those two movies, um, I like these very. Uh, I like these very, you know, big ideas, you know, that take place in like small, intimate, sure, intimate things, right? So, I origins and you know, another Earth. They are these, you know, the umbrella of those stories are these giant sci-fi tales, but they are happening between you know two individuals. Yeah, and it's in there that you know this giant idea just grows and grows and grows, right? And I like. Christopher Nolan's movies because I feel like he has these giant ideas and these giant stories, but they are about such small things Mm -hmm. and not in like, I don't say that in an insulting way, but it's just about, it's a story about a father and his daughter. Yeah. You know? And like, and it's, um, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful story. Yeah. You know? And, uh, 
you know, like it just, uh, I picked it cause it just really touched me and it was like, just one of these milestones in like the decade where I could be like, I could just, I can pick that movie and there's a reason, there's a reason deeply why I like love the movie, like cinematically and artistically and everything. Um, plus I think it's like an awesome, like time travel ish kind of movie. Yeah, and it just, yeah. you know, it deals with time and, you know, he deals with time in a way that it, it's extremely complicated, but for some reason it's like, you know, the, you know, perfect cut of, you know, Jimmy John sandwiches that you just ordered. It's like, yeah, <laughs> this is just all makes sense to me right yeah. here. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's clear. Um, but yeah, so interstellar. Nice. Yes. Yeah. Great pick. I fucking, yeah. I love that movie too. I think it's also worth mentioning that when you saw this movie, you had not seen 2001 a space odyssey. Oh yeah. That's Cause right. you just saw that for the first time, like two years ago. Two years yeah. Ago, yeah. 70 millimeter over a music box. Yes. Yes. So, um, so let me tell you when I first saw 2001, yeah. Blew my hair back. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Now I can, uh, yeah. All right. 50 years ago. Yeah. What's up? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I had not seen 2001 yet. Yeah. No, it's, and obviously, yeah, Interstellar is very much, you know, yeah. uh, Nolan's tip of the hat, too. I won't say total homage. They're pretty different films. Yes. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. Um, Nolan's obviously a 2001, you know, oh, acolyte. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, um this yeah it, um the other thing i'll say about it is uh it's uh one of the many collaborations between han zimmer and christopher nolan yes right yeah. and uh it's the first time that it it was a uh, like a different score like we're so used to the inception mm -hmm. you know vibe and score and sound the big like you know and um <clears throat> this movie felt like church it felt spiritual yeah. And I think that's another reason why like it, it really gravita gravitated towards uh, me. And uh, it was also nice to hear a Hans Zimmer score that didn't sound like, you know, Hans Zimmer, Hans Zimmer. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like uh, and not, in a, not that I don't think he challenges himself, but I was like, holy shit. Like when I first heard it, I there were, you know, I, I there were uh, sounds I didn't recognize. And I had to think like, oh, shit, this is him. Like, yeah. wow, this is really like. It's got so many dynamics to it, yeah. too. Like, it's it really, you know, it does get big at mm -hmm. times, but it's not always there. You right. know, like, that was kind of the cliche with him, is it was, like, always at 11, yeah, you know? Right, yeah. Um, but it's like, man, this is one of those scores that, like, because I've listened to this score a bunch, mm -hmm. just, like, on its own, yeah. separate from the film, and um, it really is, like, it catches you off guard, because it's, like, it's there's a lot of really soft stuff in there, and you kind of turn the volume up a little bit, and then all of a sudden, it's, like, starts to swell up yeah. and you're like oh my god this is enormous yeah. like i didn't realize you know i thought this was all like normal level but this was like really low he yeah. really kind of like hit both sides of that spectrum of mm -hmm. like this is where we're really underscoring we're only going to go overscore you know once we really need to once yeah. we have those moments of like this is truly massively epic you right know? right yeah so uh the score reminds me a lot of the the scene in the movie where uh they've they're like just near the black they're just near like the anomaly they're going to go through mm -hmm. like a, the, the wormhole or whatever and uh they've all just woken up and like bromley keeps hitting the 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 side of the 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 side of the ship mm -hmm. and you know matthew mcconaughey sits down next to him and you know they have a they have a dialogue but he puts uh he puts what's on his earphones in bromley's ears and it's just like the sounds of the forest mm -hmm. and i just thought like i thought like the music was a way to sort of like 
this movie's so big and it's so wide because of space. It's already so big that the it made sense for the music to sometimes just be very small. Yeah. And very just sort of like like a click, just like tick, tick, and just right. something really sweet. Emphasizes know? the enormity of what's around you. And it's like even Hans Zimmer sounds small right now. You yeah, know? Like exactly. That's how big right. we're dealing with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but every time I see that scene, I always think about like the music because it's like, it's like he hears the forest and then like the next music, the next music cue is like you watching the ship going through space. And it's just like a light ticking that's happening with like it sounds like a ticking clock actually mm-hmm. with, with them going through space. But uh, but yeah, overall, that movie just it felt different from what what I've seen, what I had seen up until that point with with Christopher Nolan. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so even down to the music, you know, it was uh, it uh, it definitely hit on a bunch of bunch of things for me, aside from it just being like a space movie or entertainment, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah. Yeah. No, it's a great movie. Yeah. I really, yeah. It's one that I, I really liked it when I first saw it, but I like, I've watched it a couple more times since then. And it's just like, I, I just like it even more every time I see it. Yeah. It's really, yeah. The kind of complexity of its accomplishments becomes more apparent the more you watch it. Like yeah. the, how much it really is balancing that like super epic with like the really personal and like lyrical. Yeah. And there's, um, you know, there's, yeah, just this really in, in, impeccable balance between the two. Mm-hmm. The, again, it takes a real skilled hand to yeah. be able to pull that off. A lot yeah. of people shit on that movie. I know. I, yeah, I know. I, just, I don't get it. I don't either. You it's, know, it's an excellent film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah. So uh, who knows? But whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Fuck, Fuck people. <laughs> yeah. All right. What's your number? What are we on? Four. Number four. Number four. Number four. My number four. Is another movie from 2016. Oh fuck! 2016 was a good year. 2016. Uh, oh, the hand, the Handmaiden was from 2016, but my other 2016 pick is a little movie called Moonlight. Oh shit! Yep. I was. I thought it might have been uh, Gods of Egypt, but <laughs> 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 which, if you can believe it, came out in the same fucking year. Yeah. I like I said, 2016 was a great year. All right. Uh, <laughs> all right. So starting off, Moonlight. Moonlight. <clears throat> Fuck. <laughs> That's literally the first sentence. The I, first thing I wrote I when I started writing you. about Moonlight, I was just like, "Fuck." Uh, we are, as a species, rarely lucky enough to witness something as achingly poignant, beautiful, and honest as this film. Uh, if anyone were to call into question film's ability to create understanding, empathy, and compassion for someone who came from a completely different place in every way than themselves, this would be the first movie I would show them to prove them wrong. Uh, it is devastating in all the right ways. It rewards your emotional investment in a way that doesn't cheapen the characters or the reality of their situation. It's really hard to call this anything other than a perfect film. And also, Andre Holland is probably the most underutilized actor of the decade. Um... Yeah, uh, this movie is fucking something else. Yeah, uh, if I mean, if you've seen it, like you already, you're probably just sitting there nodding your head, like, "Yep, yeah, Makes I, sense. that should be there." I almost feel like I don't even need to say anything else about it. It's like either you've seen Moonlight and you agree, or you haven't seen Moonlight. <laughs> Those are the only two people <laughs> that exist in the world. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> it's yeah, I, I, like I, I, I can't understand how anyone could not respond to this film. It is just like so perfectly like painted mm-hmm. um uh, from front to back that uh, in, you know again uh, like i'm i'm a straight white guy who grew up in the suburbs mm-hmm. i have like i would say zero in common 
with a young gay black child growing up in not a great part of Miami. Yeah. Uh, however, this movie, like within the first five minutes of this, I was like, like crawling out of my skin, wanting to just go hug this child yeah. inside of the movie. You know, yeah. like I felt so connected to him. Mm-hmm. And like, I completely understand, you know, and obviously I don't even with a movie this well rendered, I will never fully understand what it's like to be in that situation. Yeah. Uh, it looks rough. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, uh, but you know, I, I, I realized that I was at least starting to get an inkling of it and starting to understand and not, maybe not even empathize, like maybe even beyond empathizing, but actually sympathizing, Mm -hmm. you know, and actually starting to feel some of the same emotions. So just like, I understand your feelings. Yeah. Like actually (laughs) sharing them and, you know, getting and take, hopefully, you know, it, it also felt like I was taking on part of that burden watching the movie, you know, like it, it was, it was like that powerful and like that well-drawn and that I just bought the characters and like the characterization so much. Mm -hmm. That I was like, I, I feel like I can help this person yeah. <laughs> by taking on part of this pain right now, <laughs> you know, and like dealing with it so that hopefully that's a little less for them to deal with. Yeah, right. Um, there is, I mean, there is just, uh, there's just like poetry, like throughout the, in, not even between the, the poetry is the lines. Like the whole movie is poetry. Yeah. From front to back. Yeah. Um, but it's like, it's, it's like the most, I don't know, somehow like accessible without being uh, uh, diluted Mm -hmm. kind of like a creative expression that like I've ever come across. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's just it's such a magic trick like to be able to pull that (laughs) off and not. Yeah, not have it feel like, you know, overly sentimental or, you know, otherwise like just cloyingly, you know, like emotional and, um, you know, just just like dragging you down with how. Uh, painfully like saccharine and like sugary it is with yeah. like everything it's trying to do. It's it's just like it it feels so real, but at the same time so like a dream, mm-hmm. uh, but also like a, a you know like an abstract painting, um, uh, but also completely and utterly of this world and real. Yeah. You know, it, I don't I, like I I actually I don't think I understand how it functions. Uh-huh. Um, I mean I've I've watched it probably like three or four times. And, um, it's, it's the opposite of what I was saying before. It's like, I can't help but get caught up in the emotions of it because they're so, so big and beautiful Yeah, yeah. (laughs) that like, I, I don't like my analytical brain just like shuts off. Okay. Cause it just, it, it like refuses to look at it. It's like, why ruin this? You know, like, (laughs) do I want to know like, Oh, well, you know, he does this and then this, and that's why you have this emotional reaction and like that type. It's like, can I just enjoy what it does yeah you know because it it just feels good to watch and it's like nice to just kind of be taken on that journey without you know uh, you know having to deal with that element of things Mm -hmm. and just watch it as like you know not even a film it's just like an experience yeah you know it's like it doesn't i'm I'm not like analyzing its construction because it doesn't feel constructed you know It's, it's almost that aspect to it even though it's so constructed you know, it's mm-hmm. very stylized. Yeah. It's divided into three parts with like, you know, years in between. We're just like jumping time, mm-hmm. you know, for like a decade now. Yeah. So it, it really has a lot of, you know, very, uh, you know, not contrived, but like, you know, artificial elements to it. Right. Um, but they all just, you know, work so well at, at telling the story and creating, um, you know, everything that this movie needs to function. Yeah. That um, it doesn't feel that way, you know. It's really, uh, I remember when I watched it, um, I, I think I saw it by myself as well. 
Um, but I remember that it uh, it's a movie that really like trusts its audience. Mm-hmm. You know, so not that n- not that you need a ton of explanation with like, well, you know, I'm I'm this young man, I'm a minority within a minority, and I'm also living in like a shitty part of town mm-hmm. as well, where you know, even being black is you know, for all the other black people within this story is still like not a good thing aside from being also like gay, mm-hmm. you know? And so, but I think when I watched it, you know, it's like you were saying, it's divided into three parts, but it's like those three parts are just like such seminal moments that that's all you, that's all you need to anchor you to this character at this age, mm-hmm. this character in the middle, and then see him, you know, to fruition in the third one. Yeah. Um, and like that's a really big trust in like the audience but also like the actors and like the direction of it as well to just sort of get that across Mm -hmm. um i think my i think my uh i love the conversation that uh him and like juan have at the table in the beginning one that like when that moment happened in the movie i was like this is the most like beautiful way of like you know, speaking to somebody like a young person. Mm-hmm. It was just so like honest and real and innocent. Yeah. And I was trying to think like, has anybody ever like talked to me that way? <laughs> you know? Um, and yeah, it was like, it was heartbreaking. Yeah. And like, and then for, you know, to go into the next one and the next one and realize that like Juan wasn't around anymore. I was like, fuck, mm-hmm. like, God damn it. I just, I miss him mm-hmm. because that conversation was just so simple and poignant enough to just get that character across. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's like beautiful what Barry Jenkins did. Like, and he just has one of those moments in each of them. Yeah. And you know, I think just also in terms of like cinematography, yeah, like the way he, like that they're shooting his, uh, cinematographer, I think, uh, I can't remember his name, like James Layton or something like that. Um, no, it's something else. I can't remember his name, um, but he, apparently him and Barry Jenkins were like friends from film school. Okay. Like went back that far. And yeah. They've yeah, yeah. been doing a lot of different stuff, but um, he uh, just the way it's like, even like lighting black skin, you know, yes. throughout that film yes. that really like, you know, it, you could tell it's like, uh, I know there's been talk about this with like, um, I think Ernest Dickerson has talked about this with like, do the right thing okay, and stuff, how that was the first movie where they really kind of like shot black skin. Uh huh the right way yeah, yeah you know yeah. where it's it's not like we're lighting for white people and right. then if a black guy shows up we do a little bit it's like no how do we really like shoot for like a darker skin tone right and really like bring out its character and its quality mm-hmm. and um you know and, and the actual tone of it and everything rather than just sort of like adjusting it to the caucasians lighting you yeah know? right um and it looks how it looks because we gotta light <laughs> right. tom hanks you know yeah um, and then Moonlight was one that really jumped out at me as far as oh, I was yeah. like, I, I mean, it's like black skin is like a, a practically a thematic, like a visual motif in this movie. Yeah. You know, and just the kind of like sensuality of it and, you know, of, of the characters in general, but just the way that like the skin tones looked is so like fetishized in a way, mm-hmm. you know, it was like kind of rich and I was like, damn, these are like 
that's a good looking man. You yeah, know? right. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, and that you know, it was just like really realizing that, like, uh, you know, I was watching that movie and it was, I was so blown away. I was like, man, like blue light on black skin. Oh, is yeah, yeah. Really amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's just such a like aesthetic, like explosion. Mm-hmm. You know, it fits with the moonlight. You know, it's yeah, like right. there's a thing in cinema that like moonlight is blue, you know, yeah, nighttime right. is blue. <laughs> yeah. And stuff, but I was like, wow, yeah, using like a cooler kind of like light on a darker skin, it mm-hmm. really like there's a nice like contrast that develops where you right. actually kind of feel and see the richness of it. And it just, you know, it, it felt like in that regard too, like a really, really, um, you could you could understand like how deep, like you know, Barry Jenkins like identity. Yeah, permeates this film. Uh-huh. You know that it was like this is a movie made by like a black person, right? About black people yeah you know and it's not gonna be we're not gonna make any concessions you Uh know to uh you know the other like other viewpoints other viewpoints are well represented in other films this is my viewpoint you know this has a very auteur but also like a very um uh you know cultural identity just like infused into it Mm -hmm. and like to see it that even when you start recognizing it at like even that level of decision making yeah where it was even just like how are you know like, why does black skin never look the way I think it should look on a film as a black person? You yeah, know? yeah, you could almost you could tell that like that was probably a conversation, uh-huh. you know, because there's such a, a care and delicacy like paid to that particular element. But again, it's like that becomes a massively important part of its identity and its power mm-hmm. as a film. And and also it's, you know, proudness of like what it is and who it's made by, who it's discussing, you mm-hmm. know, it. it to exercise this level of control, restraint, and mastery on your second film is really, I mean, kind of unprecedented. Yeah. You know, it's, I'd, I'd put it up there with like Pulp Fiction. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah, like yeah. as far as like accomplishment of sophomore features, oh, yeah, you know, that's true. like it's yeah. really something else. You can tell this guy's just been brewing, you know, like he's oh, yeah. just been ready to pop, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. Finally, you know, and got that got the chance finally, and he fucking stepped up to the plate. Like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Home stretch. Home stretch. Top three. Top three. All right. Um, I'm going with one from 2010, and it's the social network. Nice. Um, so I didn't pick the social network because it's about Facebook and we have all this mm-hmm. Facebook shit going on right, right now, whatever. <laughs> but there are uh I've said it once and I'll say it again before like I have on the podcast like I got I came late to a lot of movies that like you grew up with. Mm -hmm. And there are some times where like I will watch a movie and it will kick the door open to, you know, an older filmmaker for me. Right. And so while I had watched, you know, Seven and I had watched Fight Club for some reason, uh, social network was the arrival of David Fincher for me. Okay, and after watching Social Network, um, having a bit more of like a movie education, and you know, I I was happy to go back and watch, you know, Seven and Fight Club mm-hmm. with you know that that education and get like a lot more out of it, and so. Um, <clears throat> And then also, I I honestly do credit like Social Network with uh, I went back and watched Alien Three because mm-hmm. I had never seen it before. Yeah, I had always heard about how <laughs> it was just hated, you know, and it's it's production woes. But like after watching it, I I really like that movie a lot. Yeah, it's a <laughs> really good movie. It's a it's a 
pretty awesome standalone flick. Um, but um, I don't know. I uh, um, so aside from Social Network being able to like crack my head open more with uh, more David Fincher um, stuff, like it definitely you know like defines like the decade. Mm-hmm. And you know if there's like a time, I feel like if someone were to have done a time capsule, I feel like that movie's just got to be in there. Yeah, you know. Um, and, uh, just the way like the story was told, you know, um, the dialogue, the Aaron Sorkin dialogue, I think that was another arrival for me was like that kind of dialogue. Mm-hmm. Cause, um, uh, I think I had seen a few good men. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I didn't know that he wrote it and I didn't know that he was a playwright first and that he wrote it as a playwright and he adapted it. He adapted his own play for the screen, mm-hmm. even though it was directed by uh, Rob Reiner. And so, um, <clears throat> so I got introduced to, you know, uh, it was like the arrival for Aaron Sorkin for me. Uh-huh. And so since then, anything with like Aaron Sorkin's name on it, I was like, I want, I want to hear that dialogue. Mm-hmm. I want to do that. You know, I yeah, want you're to. a big West Wing fan. Uh, now, right? Yes. Yeah. Love the West Wing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you, Daryl. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen it. He always I've never seen me, a He always episode. gives me yeah. shit, dude. <laughs> um, but, um. But no, I, I remember watching that movie and just having like, um, <clears throat> it was just like something I had never seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's also the introduction to me for, uh, what do you call it? Trent. Yeah. Like big introduction. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like I had never listened to Nine Inch Nails. I didn't know who Trent Reznor was. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I think at most maybe when they would make fun of him on Celebrity Deathmatch uh-huh, or something. Sure, yeah. Like <laughs> maybe... That was like a, a really loose thread, yeah, but like it was just like a cultural reference. Yeah, yeah. you know. So I, I didn't, I didn't know him, and also I think it's the first time I actually started paying attention to like trailers, aside from just it being like a preview of the movie. It was, you know, just this completely different feeling with that 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 first trailer. Yeah, you know, and the cover. It's a great trailer. Yeah, yeah. and um, and just using dialogue from the movie, dialogue and that and that trailer. Uh, and that music uh, kind of came together in this like perfect storm of like, oh, this movie about Facebook just it's not like just that. It's yeah. about so much more, you know, and this song is telling you that. But also like the dialogue that's, you know, undercutting it as well is is even letting you know that it's a lot more than just a movie about Facebook. Mm-hmm. And so. Uh, so, yeah, it just really it just really was like a cultural stepping stone for like filmmaking for me and like what you could do with like promotion and what you, what you could do with like music and how one informs the other and, and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah. So that's why I put it in my number three. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. Also, I, I mean, uh, you know, just to speak to what you were talking about before about like how this, you know, was a little bit of a gateway drug to, you know, the previous venture films. It's like, I think this movie also shares a lot, uh, and it's even in the title, you know, the social network. I think this movie shares a large debt of gratitude to Network, the Sydney Lumet film oh, network yes, that you yes. know Patty Chayesky wrote. Um, the uh, yeah, it's you know that that movie's incredible and is mm-hmm. very much like this movie for that time period. It is, you know, yes, and that's a great uh, yeah, it's it really. In Fincher's a smart enough you know filmmaker too that like he 100 percent was aware of that. Yeah, and yeah, I'm sure that was probably something that attracted him to the material. Uh-huh. Um, in the first place, wanting to tell that story was like, you know, the ability to do something like what Network did, but for now. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and both of those movies, I, I think, yeah, really are a testament to the ability to make something that is both like extremely contemporary, but timeless. Yes. Um, you know, they're very much like about, especially this, you know, is about like technology at the time, which is like the most fickle yeah. thing in the world, you know, <laughs> like technology isn't relevant like six months after it comes out, you yeah. know, let alone a decade later. Mm-hmm. And here we are, and this is number three for the decade. You right. Know, that's pretty pretty telling i'd say for the accomplishment uh, yeah. here but yeah fucking great movie number three all right what you got i have for number three what you got movie from 2013 oh in the three spots little movie called under the skin all right yeah yeah so number three under the skin here's what i wrote uh so i have to start with the score um, okay. this is maybe my favorite film score of all time. Okay. It is absolute perfection and so perfect. In fact, that I don't even consider it a score in the traditional sense. It's just part of the movie. Mm. Um, it could never have existed outside of the creation of this exact film because there's absolutely no other need or artistic purpose for conjuring these specific sounds and rhythms. <laughs> However, it is also the only thing that could have ever possibly worked for this film. Um, so in that sense, it, it just feels like it's part of the image as though somehow I'm like watching the music when I watch this movie. Okay. Um, and the movie itself though is, is a masterpiece of audiovisual storytelling. Um, which I, I also wanted to, you know, we talk about visual storytelling a lot and I was like, it really should be called audiovisual storytelling, especially with all the greats uh, because yeah. all the greats do sound is such an integral part of the uh-huh. image, you know, again, like we always talk, you know. It's a visual medium and all that, but like that's one of the first things you realize when you start making films, and especially in film school, is like sound is just as as important as image. You know, right. like if your image is okay, but the sound sells it, then uh-huh. like it'll work. But if your sound, you know, if your image is great and your sound fucking sucks, right. like you're immediately pulled out. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's really creates the reality. So it it should be audiovisual storytelling. But <laughs> <laughs> um, this movie is a masterpiece of audiovisual storytelling because it uses both to such like grand effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, the imagery is absolutely sublime, and Scarlett brings more to this role than anything she has done before or since. Scarlett Johansson, that is, for people not familiar with the movie. Um, it's, I, he's only made three movies, but I would still call this a career best for Jonathan Glazer. Um, it's a testament to the power of unique artistic vision to transform familiar universal emotions into something new, allowing us to experience them as though it was for the first time again. Um, yeah, this movie is just like a major accomplishment. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. There's yeah. really no other way to put it. Yeah. It just, it kind of just grabs you by the fucking short hairs, you know? <laughs> The moment it starts and it's like it's so deceptive in the way that it it unveils itself as well. I mean, it's so it's so oblique the way everything is, you know, nothing is just like handed to you as far as like information. It really is up to the viewer to kind of like completely figure out Mm -hmm. what is even going on here. Yeah. Why any of this is happening. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Who these people are like it just it. uh, And I love that, though. It just like it throws you like so deep into the weeds with like no with nothing, you know, not even like a, a canteen with a little bit of water left <laughs> yeah, in it. Right. It's just, you're just naked and scared, mm-hmm. you know, like basically. Um, I mean, yeah, it's, you know, this this movie is absolutely transportative. It's, uh, you know, it's funny. There was um, this one guy from, uh, excuse me, uh, I can't remember his name. Anyway, uh, 
a few years ago at Music Box, they were showing David Lynch's Dune. Okay. And it was like 35 millimeter print. We were like, fucking going. I mean, yeah. I love that movie. It's really <laughs> fun. It's, you know, it's not Lynch's best movie, yeah. but it's fucking great. Uh-huh. Um, so we were like, yeah, let's go. And uh, this one guy from The Onion, I think he used to write for The Onion, like AV Club. Okay. Igne Vishnevsky or something like that. Okay. I, I can't, I'm butchering. I would butcher it even if I had it in front of me. Yeah, it's one yeah. of those guys, like, I'd see his name a lot and I'm like, pronounce that yeah okay um but anyway he (laughs) was kind of presenting the film oh okay and uh so he was talking about it for a couple minutes before and um i I just loved what he said he was like i he was like this is one of my favorite science fiction movies Uh because it actually feels like it came from another world okay you know it it doesn't it, it it doesn't have the perspective of like us a human on earth trying to explain to you another culture or world it feels like a whole different world that has a, a culture and existence and priorities mm-hmm. and an existence that is completely alien to ours made a movie and it just <laughs> somehow ended up on Earth. Okay. You know, it's like it's made from the sensibility of the people who live there. Uh-huh. And just like, you know, when I make a movie, I don't have to explain what breathing is because we all know what breathing is because we all breathe. Right. You know, it's. <laughs> It's it's like made from that perspective where there's these things about their existence in the movie as like an alien race or cultures or civilizations that are just never explained to you because it feels like it was made from a standpoint of like, well, no, everybody understands that. Yeah. You know? Like <laughs> we all know what, you know, Andrade's is or like whatever. It's it's there's this like kind of wonderful lack of exposition but not in a way that's like to make it you know convoluted or confusing it's really just sort of like you're seeing this whole thing from somebody else's perspective an alien perspective you know (laughs) um and i feel like under the skin kind of has the same quality all right it really when you watch it you feel like you're watching a a, a transmission from another place you know and like you are experiencing the world through alien eyes okay you know, and um, it, it just really it does such an amazing job of like bringing you there uh-huh. and um, again, kind of like leaving you stranded. It, it, it's it's cool. It, like it makes you like both kind of fear and identify with Scarlett Johansson's character. Yeah, um, because you are she's every bit as isolated as you kind of feel watching the movie, mm-hmm. but she's like predatorial, yes. you know, so she's sort of making making it work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whereas you're a little more like, what am I doing? Like, how am I supposed to feel about what she's doing right now? Yeah, you know, right. and you just kind of again are like, I, it's like inscrutable mm. for a little while. Like, what, what is this? <laughs> I'm, I'm in trance. I can't stop watching it. Yeah. But, um, and then as it reveals itself to be what it is, mm-hmm. um, and its ultimate like exploration of like the you know the development of emotions and the you know weaponization of sex <laughs> yeah and you know the what what it what it's like to have the tables turned on you mm-hmm. you know to go from predator to prey yeah and um you know to be to be something that is you know this like empty predatorial vessel that suddenly understands what emotion is yeah and suddenly becomes prey not just to that but to a world that has perfected the art of predator of preying on people that are emotionally yeah uh um receptive Mm -hmm. you know and using that against them yeah um to then you know by the end of that movie it's like you know at the beginning you're like this is 
you feel like this is you know she's this monster you like are you am i watching a monster movie basically yeah right and then like by the end of it it's you know it's it sounds cliche to say well you know people are the monsters but Mm -hmm. yes yeah right that is definitely (laughs) part of this but more so to me the point of the movie is not people are monsters but like you know how much stronger like love is than evil mm-hmm. you know like in a way that's kind of what that movie is about to me yeah and okay. unfortunately like we live in a place where people like to take advantage of that yeah um you know love is the more powerful emotion but evil is the stronger force okay if you will yes um right. you know and it's it's kind of like that's where the movie goes for me and i, I love that idea yeah like the way that it, it trades places with everything where you know people are just like these helpless victims to her mm-hmm. and then by the end of it it's the complete opposite and yeah. it's all just because she's understood what it means to like have an emotional connection to someone right and it's just kind of mind-blowing yeah you know? it's again it's one of those things that like on paper you just tell people that it sounds like such a okay it's another indie film you know yeah. it's like no <laughs> dude what like just get five minutes into this thing, you're gonna be like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, this what is, is going incredible. on? Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, yeah, that black room, the seduction sequences, mm-hmm. the way the music works with all of that. It's just like, it is sublime art. You know, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. I don't know any other way to put it. I just, I, I feel, it's, it's not like a movie I can just turn on casually. You know, no, you really need to. It's, be in it's a particular, like, like I'm, I'm ready to go. Yeah, you know, like. <laughs> I am ready to go yeah. into church and like fucking bloody my knees praying. Yeah. You know? like, <laughs> anyway, so yeah. Well, that's a good three. number three, man. Under the skin. Under What's the skin. up? All right. Number two. Dose. We're getting close. Getting close with dose. Getting close. <laughs> uh, my number two is Roma. Roma. My number two is Roma. So, yeah. Yes. Nice. Um, you know, Roma came out in 2018, mm-hmm. and uh, we talked about it a little bit uh, earlier at the beginning of uh, right at, uh, number ten, I think, is when we talked about it. Yeah, <laughs> with, with yeah, film we're talking about seventy millimeter. Yes, and so, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Um, and so, and we did did a, we did do a, a review episode um, on it as well. But uh, yeah, Roma, um, Roma is directed by written and directed by Alfonso Cuarón, and uh, just a really another beautiful movie that is like wow i didn't know you could do that mm-hmm. like i didn't know that you could just um i mean like not literally but like shoot a memory yeah and make it compelling and moving and simple and complicated and just have all of it rolled into one um you know for me it was like watching you know um after we saw it that first time me you and matt we came back to your place and I remember telling Matt Miles that like <clears throat> that like I, f- I felt like I watched a memory mm-hmm. like these, you know, just moments in time of, you know, um, of this main character, but also moments in times of like Koran's, you know, uh, childhood yeah. as well, you know, and how even some of the camera movements of the movie almost felt very like childlike, you know, when we just go like from left to right, just long, long pans left to right. And then it would, um, if anything sort of adult was happening, like we were immediately slapped out of it. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, uh, especially with the the mother going through like the divorce. Yeah. Uh, We were immediately slapped out of it so that like this, this like, um, this like precious cocoon of like childhood was just, you know, contained for as long as possible. Yeah. Until we got to the end where there was just like this release with like that scene at the beach 
and you know all this kind of stuff um but yeah no it's an it's a movie that had a very big like effect on me uh you know cinematically but also like emotionally and um i've never been to mexico uh it's that's like my heritage i am mexican um but and i was i mean i was born here so but for some reason i felt like it kind of brought me a little closer to like my grandparents mm. and my parents and you know just stories that they would tell me or uh, about like just growing up here in chicago or like growing up in mexico and then coming to chicago and stuff like that and so um every time like I talk to my grandma or I'll like talk to my mom or my dad. Like I, I sort of feel like I'm watching like another Roma. It's like, I'm, I'm watching a memory happen and you know, like it's just as real watching it uh, now as it was like then and stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, that's my number two. Nice. Yes. Roma. Roma too. Yeah. No, it's a great, I, I figured that was going to be on your list. Oh yeah. Somewhere. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, you know, being with you, I know how much, I love I love how much it hit you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 I did. Yeah, no, it was really yeah. good. And I, like I said, I, I, yeah, I had a really weird experience with it. We mm-hmm. did the recording, the review episode after we saw it digitally. We um, did, yeah. I had a kind of tepid take on it yeah. at that point. I was yeah. kind of like, yeah, you know, really well made movie that I just don't kind of care about, right. you know? Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I've seen it in 70 millimeter. It's, Totally different dimension to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really, really just totally heightened everything about it and brought me like into its world. Right. And uh, I, I didn't feel like I was being kept at arm's length anymore, mm-hmm. um, which was, yeah, really, really crazy to see. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, is it, yeah, it turned out, you know, it's an excellent, excellent film. It was definitely on one of my, when I started putting lists together, that okay. was on, it was up, it, it was, was up on there. there. Yeah. But uh, glad. Glad you ended up representing it because it's uh, yeah. Spoiler, it's not on my list. Yeah, no. <laughs> it didn't end up in my top ten. It's not my number two or number one. No, so. that's good. That's good. That's fine. Um, but uh, it's yeah, definitely deserves a mention. I mean, oh it's quite, god, yeah, it's quite an accomplishment. Yeah, and also it's just sort of is one of those things also that we're probably going to look back on in a few years and be like, man, when Netflix just was given crazy amounts of money to yeah. anyone, like. <laughs> Yes. You get like you could never get that movie. No yeah. studio would ever make that movie. No. Are you fucking kidding? They wouldn't even come close no. to it. Like how much money they spent in production and how much time he spent on it. Only, only Netflix in two thousand well, seventeen when I guess when they greenlit it. Oh, that's true. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. would do that when yeah. they were like, Hey, theaters hate us, the whole industry hates us, but we want awards and relevance, so we need some fucking prestige pictures. Yeah. We need to look like real fucking good right now, <laughs> you know, so that like cinephiles can't ignore us. Right. And you know, it's like, let's give Quaron like a hundred mil. Yeah. To make his, you know, this is the story of my maid mm-hmm. movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that I'm gonna write, direct, be the cinematographer for. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Quite. It's really something else. Yeah. Uh, I'm so happy that it got made, though. It's like you know, kind of. Again, one of those. He stepped up. You know, when the opportunity came, he was like, "All right, yeah, I'm gonna, I'll do it, and I'll do it right." Yeah. You know, he really did. Like he really took that opportunity to the you know its fullest. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. uh, we've seen plenty of other people that have gotten money from Netflix and are just like, let's go get some hookers and blow, <laughs> motherfuckers. <laughs> hookers and blow, the movie. Yeah, right? The Netflix movie. Yeah. <laughs> so. All right, number yeah. two for you. All right. 
number two for me is actually, I think, a fitting companion to your number two. Oh. Yeah. My number two is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Woo! All right. Or as I abbreviated it, Uwate. <laughs> Um, all right. All right. Yeah. This is my number two for the decade. Once upon a time in Hollywood. All right. Uh, here's what I wrote. Go. Uh, if I could live inside of a movie, it would be this one. All right. Uh, there's an almost casual perfection to it. Uh, it's so seamlessly and effortlessly a period piece, but it feels like it's making no attempt to draw your attention to that while also shoving your face in it the entire time. (laughs) Um, the milieu is so comprehensively drawn that we just never question it. The camera could literally look anywhere and we know instinctively that it would still be part of this world. And in turn, what is on screen is so precisely evocative that we immediately sense the presence of everything that is off screen. Um, It is nostalgia done absolutely right, much like Tarantino's entire career. It takes the spirit of what made the past so special and weaves it into the fabric of something new and personal. Um, This is unquestionably Quentin's masterpiece and clearly the film he has been working towards for his entire career. Uh, A master at the peak of his powers, without question. Yeah. Um there's yeah, I I can't say enough good things about this movie. Um I know I've gushed about it on the show before and in person to many people. <laughs> um I've now seen it 7 times, nice. 4 times in the theater, 3 <laughs> times at home. <laughs> um, uh all 4 times in the theater on 70 millimeter. Nice. Um and I I honestly I still just like this movie even more every time I watch it. Um, it's, it's just so perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, like, I, I just, like I said, I just, I want to live in it. You know, yeah. I don't want it to end when it's over. Um, you know, I, I love, yeah, that it actually is very like optimistic mm-hmm. and kind of positive, you know, even with the explosion of violence at the end, Yeah, it, that violence is what like saves the life that we've been scared for the whole movie, yes. you know, like, <laughs> and, uh, and just, you know, again, like it, there was this really awesome speech that Greta Gerwig gave a couple of weeks ago at like the Palm Springs Film Festival. They were giving Tarantino like a Lifetime Achievement Award or something. Mm-hmm. And she just had this great quote, a comment about, um, you know, he makes movies like they can change the world. Tarantino. Yeah, yeah. Tarantino does. Like, you know, in Glorious Bastards, like he feels like a movie could actually kill Hitler and stop the war. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a movie could actually free the slaves and yeah. a movie could actually give Sharon Tate, you know, uh, more years yeah. uh, to her life. And, um, you know, so it's like, that's why he changes history in his movies because he feels that powerfully about film and like what it can actually do to a person and to the world yeah. that it can change the world. So why don't we fucking change the big shit? You know, yeah. <laughs> like, fuck it. Hitler, he's out. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's amazing, but uh, you just you get that sense from this film, like so, uh, so powerfully, you know, and to have it used in uh, in service of something that is so uh, uninterrupted, uninterruptedly positive. Yeah, you know that just you never you're never worried that they're not going to be buddies anymore. You know, yeah, they never have right. like the fallout where they're like, oh, we both like the same girl, and it's going to yeah, cause yeah. a divide between. No, it's just like fucking Rick and Cliff. Like yeah. it's gonna be even, and even at the end when it's like. Hey, we got to part ways, you know, after this, it's like, yeah. well, let's have a fucking night, you know? Yes. And then it's like, cool, let's yeah. go have this night, you know, because <laughs> it just happens to be the same night that somebody else decided to have a night, you right. know? <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's just amazing. But um, it's like just, that moment that he's being carried away on the stretcher at the <laughs> end. 
Bring bagels. Bring bagels. <laughs> yeah, it was just so fucking sweet. You yeah. just want to cry because he's just like, take care of that pretty wife. She's yeah. fine. Yeah, you know, whatever. Like, no, yeah. come in the morning. You yeah. don't want to spend the night in the hospital <laughs> with me. Just come in the morning. Bring bagels. Oh, gosh. <laughs> it's so good. It's great. It's yeah. just like, you're, just, you're a good friend. Yeah. It's like, I try. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, it really is. It's so it's it's everything about it. Like you know, the casting of the two of them, the writing of the two of them. I mean, you know, Tarantino's obsessive level of like encyclopedic knowledge of like obscure old film and television actors mm-hmm. and and you know film and television itself. Um, you know, all just came to fruition here. He was able to like literally weave everything that he is mm-hmm. into one film. Yeah, and it's just it's so awesome to witness. It's like I I love that he was able to do that, and the fact that he was able to do that in nine movies also is crazy. Yeah, that's, I mean a yeah, lot of yeah. fucking directors spend forty movies never getting there. Yeah. you know, and like he, you know, he's like I'm gonna do ten, and on nine he was like, oh shit, I kind of fucking did it. Yeah, like ten <laughs> can kind of be whatever now. Yeah, like this is this was it, and I totally agree with him. He's talked about that. He's like, I think this is really the climax, and ten is gonna be more of like an epilogue. Yeah. It'll probably be something a little more low key, mm-hmm. and I was like, "That's great! You, you're not going to outdo this, no, you know." Yeah. And um, it's it's funny though that it's it's also parallel running parallel to your number two for Roma because uh, remember when the trailer first came out, it was like the first thing I saw said was like, "This looks like Tarantino's Roma." Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is his memory of childhood, yeah, told through like an oblique lens, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's it's both like his memory and his fantasy, right? Like he, you know, he was a kid in that time. He wishes he was an adult in that time. Yeah, and this was his way of like doing that. Yeah, you know, he got to live <laughs> as an adult in 1969 Hollywood. Right. You know, for fucking <laughs> however long they were making this movie, and uh, it's just it's so cool. And there's so many little things about it, like you know, it just the camera angles in the car, you know, like when yeah. we're driving down the street and we're in the passenger seat at a low angle, kind of like looking up at Brad Pitt, like with all the, you know, signs and stores mm-hmm. running past him. It's like, that is the perspective of like a child in the passenger seat. Yeah. What, you know, looking up at his dad or whatever, his father figure while they're driving through LA, like that's his memory. Yeah. You know, that's what he <laughs> used to do was like, I'm sure look up at the driver and see all the fucking shit flying by. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, Sharon Tate and uh, Roman Polanski driving to the Playboy Mansion. We're in the back seat. It's like I was that would be so fucking awesome to go to that party with them. Yeah. You know, and just not seat. be not just be at the party, but like be listening to like fucking Deep Purple yeah. in the car driving to the party. <laughs> you know, like how fucking cool would that be? You know, and like that's what that camera is mm-hmm. in that moment. It's like it's it's him, um, you know, uh, both both living out his nostalgia and his fantasies from the time. And uh, it's just. It's so well done, and he never like you know even the once upon a time in there. It's like he never, he never totally draws your attention to, but he never forgets the fact that this is kind of like a storybook. You know what he's presenting us. It is a fantasy. Uh You know, yes, this time period existed, but these sure people very much like Rick and Cliff existed, but they didn't. Yeah, Uh, obviously Sharon Tate. You know did get murdered Mm -hmm. uh and you know so this is it it is a big fantasy but it's like little moments like that that are just sort of like subtly remind you of that and then you know the like camera pull up from uh uh, rick in his pool uh reciting his lines for lancer yeah and the camera pulls back you know up up the hill to the tate house 
and you know kind of reveals it like comes into the foreground it's it feels like one of those old like storybooks that you'd turn and like the whole castle would like rise up out of it yeah yeah like there's so many just shots in the movie that are like evocative of that same kind of idea Mm -hmm. and it's like again this is a very intelligent guy he's doing that on purpose he knows what he's fucking doing right right and it's so cool it is like again that's something that i'm sure was a big part of his youth like Mm -hmm. it was those pop-up storybooks and shit and that's kind of what the quality he gave this, but in like such a mature way. And again, like took all of those things and translated them through the lens of cinema. Cause at the, at the end of the, at the beginning of the day, I should say the very first thing that Quentin Tarantino is going to do is make sure that he's making a good fucking movie. Yeah. You know, not just a cool story or, you know, like some neat characters. It's gotta be a good fucking movie. Mm-hmm. And like, that's what he's translating all this stuff through. And like, you know, a lot of other people just think that like, oh, just the nostalgia is enough or just the dialogue's enough. Yeah. You know, that's what people are gonna connect to. But it's like, you know, at the end of the day, the biggest draw of a Tarantino movie is Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. We yeah. wanna we wanna see him, you yeah. know, do, <laughs> do his thing, which is like making exciting, new, innovative films. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, for him to do that out of like, not just his past, but like, the past of the movie history of the movie industry yeah you know and just totally turn that into something like new and relevant but also like totally sort of you know yeah uh, uh reverential and uh you know um memorial mm-hmm. uh it was just like yeah it was just the perfect blend of elements and for a guy who's had probably like you know one of the most storied careers of any director in Hollywood, like whether or not you like his movies, you know who the fuck he is and what he does. Yeah, yeah. You know, like I would venture to say, there's very few auteur filmmakers that have that kind of recognition, like household name recognition. You know, yeah. and um, and that are still relevant thirty years into their career. Mm-hmm. You know, it's still like if he makes a movie, it's you got to go. Right, right. Um, and uh, yeah, for you know to to. Cons- to say that this is his masterpiece of all of his movies, which I'm sure at one point or another, I've probably referred to every one of his movies as his masterpiece. Yeah. Um, Even he has. I feel very kinda. confident saying that this is yeah. it. You yeah. know, I'm, I can't wait to see number 10, whatever it ends up being. Anything else he does, I will be there day one. Yeah. But I fully exp- like I am satisfied with Tarantino's career. Yeah. You know, everything else from here on out is just like icing. Right. This is. <laughs> yeah. The cake. The cake has been served and it's <laughs> fucking delicious. So <laughs> don't get greedy, motherfuckers. You know, um, but yeah, it, easy choice putting this at number two. Only my number Sweet. one was like a very specific decision that I knew this was going to be my number one. Okay, um, it was kind of hard not to put this there though because okay. I, I really, really fucking adore this movie. Yeah, and um, I, I look forward to enjoying it for many, many, many years to come. Sweet. Yeah. All right. Uh, we made it to number one. We're we're here. We're here. We're at number one. This is the finale. We've arrived. It's snowing now. It is. It's coming down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jesus. It's it's coming down. Yeah. You cannot see the skyline anymore. I heard heard some shit was potentially going to happen today, and it looks like it's uh looks like it's happening. Looks like it's going down. Um. Okay. My number one movie of um the twenty tens. Uh, of the 2010s is um, drum rule. It is a uh, Monos. Damn. All right. I went with Monos for wow. my top movie of 20 of the 2010s. God damn. Yes. Um, Monos uh, directed by Alejandro Landes. And uh, it is uh, I am on social media. I am on Twitter. 
and there has not been a crossword about this movie. People are discovering this movie, people are seeing this movie, and it is like everybody is giving it like tens out of tens mm-hmm. and just like loving it, uh, which makes me very happy. Yeah. Uh, very, very, oh shit. Um, very, 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 very happy. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I saw this movie uh, with you. Yeah. Uh, on my birthday. Oh, that's right. We yeah. saw it on my birthday last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, at the uh, Chicago Critics Film Festival. So a few days prior to John Wick 3? Uh, or a few days after? I can't remember. Might have been after. It was after. Yeah, okay. That's right. it, was, it was that week. Yeah. And it was a uh, like a 3 o'clock in the afternoon show. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> at Critics Film Festival. So yeah, I was like... At Music Box. <laughs> I think they only they did two screenings of it, I think. I think, yeah, this was like the second one. I yeah, think we I think did. we, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think we missed the first one and there was a little bit of buzz about it. And yeah. I think you were the one who was like, yeah, people are kind of talking about this movie. We should yeah. go. I wanted so to I think see some it. of the critics too also said right. that was the movie they were like most excited about having. But no, yeah, it's uh, all about a, a group of uh, kids who are part of a guerrilla unit in uh, Colombia and they are holding this woman hostage. Um, and um, just what ends up happening with, with them and like this wom- this woman and stuff like that. Uh, is what happens pretty much throughout the movie, and they end up breaking off into their own like guerrilla unit and trying to like sustain it themselves, and everything kind of falls apart. Um, but uh, this is also a, a score done by Michael Levy. Yep. Uh, just like your number three. Right? Yeah, under the skin. Under yeah. the skin. And um, <clears throat> this is only the third movie that she scored. Also. Yes, she yeah. Under the Skin, then uh, Pablo Lorraine's Jackie. Jackie, which, which I've never seen or listened to the score. Uh, I've 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 done both, and I really like both. Yeah, quite quite. I, I imagine I don't know why I haven't. Yeah. Um, but then, well, it was funny too because when we saw Monos, uh-huh. I neither of us knew that Michael Levy had done the score for it. That's or right. At least I didn't. Yes, I didn't. And either. while we were watching, I was like, man, somebody really likes Under the Skin. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and then in the credits. <laughs> in the credits at the end, I saw her name, and I was like, oh, there you go. <laughs> Perfect. Um, but no, yeah, I have, uh, I've never experienced a movie like I have with Monos, where, you know, uh, the score and, you know, well, I guess with Under the Skin, but I mean, like, um, I think more so with Monos, like the score definitely like widens the um, what do you call it? I feel like the score definitely widens the um, places that the characters are in. Mm-hmm. So if they're in if they're in, you know, the mountains, like uh, it sounds like they're in the mountains, but like so does the music. Yeah. And if they're in the jungle, like same thing, you know, if they're in the water and um it's just a very like visceral experience uh the movie is all subtitled there's not even like that much dialogue either too it's it's really almost kind of like kind of feels like a documentary i thought that's what like the movie opens up with the guerrilla unit playing soccer blindfolded Mm -hmm. like this is your introductory into like these characters and it's a very accurate like uh portrayal i think you might have said this so i'm like paraphrasing you right now but um that your introduction into these characters is kind of like what they are in the movie. They're just, you know, blindfolded and doing, doing things for, for some higher purpose that they don't know of yet. And it's kind of like a really awesome visual representation of just, you know, their adolescence, but also how they're treated by like a larger, probably more adult guerrilla unit. Mm -hmm. It's just like, 
tell them just to go up to this mountain and take care of this person. Yeah, and watch this cow. And that's it. Yeah, and watch yeah. this cow. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, I yeah, I just haven't been able to like let the movie go, and I'm always very happy when I see something about it, like on Twitter. Yeah, uh, I'm always happy that like people are loving it, and you know, I can't wait to own it. I don't think it's out. You can buy it digitally right now, like mm-hmm. rent it and buy it digitally. But I think like the physical copy comes out in February. Oh, okay. Um, nice. I yeah, so um, I can't wait to buy it physically and like pop it on. Yeah, and watch it <laughs> and just like apologize to you know Creech and Emma and Sean because I'm like I'm gonna just crank this tonight. Yeah. So just. I'm sorry, but yeah. <laughs> fuck y'all. Yeah, you're just gonna have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, uh, Monos is my number one of the of the of the decade, and I also feel like everything I have have on my list and everything I would I have on like a special shout out list. I feel like uh, since I kind of treat it like an education, like if you just rolled it all up into one, like I feel like Monos would be the one that would accurately represent like everything that. You know, um, if I made a movie or a short or anything, it's definitely something that I would want to make people feel mm-hmm. and experience. Yeah. Um, with something as simple as, you know, a, a, a something as simple as a story about a, a bunch of gorillas that are children. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Yeah. So, yeah, it's my number one. Nice. Yeah, no, it's it's a hell of a movie. And it's, I mean, the cinematography is outrageous, too. Insane. Like, it's really, really, every single shot is just this, like, giant canvas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's really incredible. I mean, I think they, they, I'm pretty sure they shot this anamorphic. I mean, it's got a pretty wide aspect ratio. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, just the depth and clarity of all the images. It's like, I'm, I think they shot all of this on pretty wide lenses, you mm. know, for the most part. Um it's uh yeah it's it's really impressive like the environment and the natural world and your surroundings are like just as much of a character in the film yeah as any of the people and yeah. so like they're given equal you know weight and consideration within framing uh mm-hmm. and compositions as like the people are right so it's like you know the there will be like two people having a conversation and it'll be like a fucking giant wide shot, you know? Yeah, it's right. Like, <laughs> it's, well, the jungle's having this conversation too, you yeah, know? Like right. they all are. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's, yeah, it's really, really great um, the way that it, it utilizes that. And you can tell that that's like where the score came from. Like the score really feels, again, like as kind of what I was talking about with Under the Skin, it feels like, it doesn't feel like score in the traditional sense that it's like something on top of the movie. Right. You know, it yes. just it feels like it's just part of it. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it's it's sure it's not like diegetic where it's like actually it's just it's only bird sounds or something like right, right. anything like that. It's definitely like composed score music. Mm-hmm. Um, but somehow it still feels like I don't know, I feel like the mountains kind of just sound like this, you know. Yes, <laughs> like, yes. It just this is what it sounds like if you just really listen, you know. <laughs> and uh they're just bringing that up, right. you know, in the mix as it were. Uh, rather than like creating something artificial, mm-hmm. it's just yeah, it seems to be uh, her talent. Yeah, with this type of stuff, and I'm guessing that's also why she hasn't done scored that many films. Is probably she just doesn't score stuff unless she like really connects with it. Yeah, yeah, you know, would be my guess uh, at least. But I have no clue. Either Neither way. do I. But yeah. I'm glad she did this one. Yeah, same here. This, yeah, I'm a pleasant surprise. De- oh, definitely. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Ah. Um. So yeah. All right, man. What's your number one? All right. Here we go. Here we go. Number one. Drum roll. My number one for the decade 
is the social network. Really? Yep. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, Can I tell you, I did not expect that. I I figured. Yeah. Uh, this was like pretty early on. I knew I knew this was going to be it. Okay. Um, for a lot of very specific reasons. Okay. I think I think this this movie like. Part of why I put it at number one is because, like, more than any other movie I could think of, this one, it, like, it fit every criteria I could think of. Whether okay. it be, like, personal, technical, its place in movie history, its place in social history, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, like, all those, there were compelling reasons for it to be number one, like, yeah. in every single one of those areas. Okay. And um, so, yeah, so I, I wrote quite a bit on this one. Go for it. So this is going to be a long little speech here. All righty. Um, but uh, just bear with me, folks, and hopefully this will make sense. Um, all right. So released in 2010, it is impossible not to see this film as the prophet of the coming decade, both in the world of film and the world itself. Uh, frankly, Fincher fucking called it. Um, while all of us were still having a love affair with technology, he was trying to warn us about the dangers of blindly trusting the people in control of the technology or even worse deifying them to the point that we become blind to their capacity for very human flaws and give our consent to the apocalypse without even reading the end user license agreement uh fincher was reminding us that history always repeats itself no matter how shiny and new it looks there is still a human element driving it and people never fucking change the only difference here is that for the first time in history, the internet gave this particular flawed genius immediate access to the entire world, <laughs> so that rather than confront and overcome his own shortcomings, he could enforce them upon everyone else. Uh, this is a man who would literally rather re-sculpt society than admit he, quote-unquote, needs a little work, uh, and we willingly put this narcissistic prick in control of our future. <laughs> By the way, if anyone from the year 2016 is listening right now, this part is really, really fucking important, so I hope you listen to that. <laughs> um, anyway... Uh, we really, 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 really should have listened to Fincher. Uh, uh, but anyway, uh, beyond that, um, Finch, along with uh, Jeff Cronenweth, his cinematographer, uh, also, I frankly, I think, ushered in the modern age of digital 4K cinematography. Um, it was a natural pairing with the sleek tech world being depicted in the film, but Finch, I can call him Finch, by the way, we're friends, uh, was the first one to pair up uh, the impossibly crisp image provided by high-end digital cinema cameras with an uncannily perfect architecture and composition to the shots. Uh, filmmakers have spent the past 10 years chasing after the balance between clarity and poetry that Fincher proved was possible with this film. I dare say that he gave digital filmmaking its identity with this movie. Uh, up until this point, uh, people, especially we were in film point at the time, uh, as far as digital goes, mo- people, the entire conversation just revolved around people complaining how inferior digital images looked when compared to film. Uh, after this film, people began to aspire uh, to a different, uh, a different but very respectable aesthetic with digital imagery. And it took Fincher to show us that we were simply thinking about it the wrong way. Hmm. Um, and if that weren't enough... Paired with this impeccable visual acuity came the legendary production prowess of Trent Reznor. Uh, this was the first score that he would compose with Atticus Ross, for which they would win an Academy Award, and then continue to collaborate throughout the decade on more projects with Fincher, plus a number of other directors, including Ken Burns, Trey Edward Schultz, fucking Peter Berg, and fucking <laughs> Jonah Hill, not to mention a remix of John Carpenter's Halloween theme, a project for NASA, a new Nine Inch Nails album, three Nine Inch Nails EPs, countless tours and an appearance on twin peaks and then ended 2019 with the uh, alternately heart pounding and heart wrenching score for Watchmen, one of the other high points of the fucking high points of the decade 
Um, also, the score for this film uh, is truly perfection. Um, it is a pitch-perfect underscore that places everything and everyone in it on a thin glass sheet of high-gloss anxiety. It's so fucking attractive that you become blind to how dangerous it is, which I think sums up everything I've been saying and everything the movie has been trying to communicate. Word. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. That's why I picked Social Network. Awesome. Um, yeah, I think on a... I think it did, it just, it did it on all fronts, you know, mm -hmm. it, it, it's, it's just such an impressive feat, but we watched it, uh, um, like a year ago okay, because, uh, Manali was over okay. and he had never seen it. He was oh. just like looking through my wall and he was like, you know, I never saw a social network and Hannah and I both were like, it's a fucking really good movie, man. Like yeah. you should see it. And he was like, I don't know, is it still going to be relevant? I was like. It's probably more relevant than ever now. Yeah. You know, and we watched it and we were all sitting there and yeah, him having never seen it was like, this is amazing. Yeah. But he actually stayed awake the whole time. Um, he always falls asleep during movies. But <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, we all, all three of us were shocked at like how it felt like this could have been made this year. Yeah. You know, and it would have been just as good uh -huh. and like just as relevant and actually, yeah, in some ways much more so than it was when it first came out. Nice. Um, you know, because it seemed again, first time watching it, it seemed so you know retrospectively so, and right. I was only watching it several years after the fact that I realized, like, damn, yeah, this dude was on top of it. You yeah. know, he, he, Fincher really <laughs> saw where this was all going. What you was know? the one he did before Social Network? Benjamin Button. Okay, I think would be the one before that. Um, yeah, yeah, because he yeah. kind of that like face replacement technology they That's developed right. they use for the the <laughs> right. Winklevi. Mm -hmm. Twins, um, yeah, the definitely it's you know it's my favorite Sorkin script mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah, um, you know all the performances are excellent yeah. in it throughout. Like, it's you know it's a it's a tremendous like work of art. It's you know he's a, a Fincher's like the guy to aspire to when it comes to bridging the the technical and the artistic world. Right. You know, he's always been that guy. Yeah. And it's so funny because he's like, he's kind of like low-key that guy. Because uh -huh. um, you don't <laughs> think of his movies as being like big CGI fests, but they actually are. They are. Yeah. It's just, but he does it right. He when just they, hides it. Yeah. Yeah. Like they... It's where you're not looking. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Or he does it to like make things impossibly perfect. You know, that like we could never have staged it to look like this. Right. So it's like, yeah, for but we're going to CGI this coffee table. And we're yeah. going to put it right in front of you. But you're never going to think for a second that we would have CGI'd the coffee table because we have, like, fucking Ben Affleck. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> if we can afford that, we can afford a coffee table. Yeah, you know? yeah. But now we're going to CGI that. And you never think it was. Yeah. And he just does it to such an impossible level of perfection that, like, you never do. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, a, a big push towards even more innovation inside of the industry for digital, you know, uh, imaging. Mm -hmm. uh, it really helped. I mean, Fincher for this movie famously had a couple like cameras made just like the, um, the row crew scene. Yeah. Uh, shot with all those tilt shift lenses, lenses that makes it look like miniaturized kind of and yeah, stuff. Yeah. But they wanted to put, you know, cameras on, uh, on those boats mm -hmm. and those boats are super lightweight. They're like fiberglass, you know, yeah, or something yeah. or like some, they're like carbon fiber or some shit that just like weighs nothing. Because it's all about, you know, trying to win a race. Yeah, we don't right. want weight. Yeah. So the camera, it just, I mean, the boat would just flip over. Basically, yeah. they put a camera on it because um, it's like way <laughs> too much weight on one side. And, um, you know, they're shooting with reds, uh, you know, back in 2010 also. So the, you know, cameras were fairly large, big, you know, cinema lenses, and right, especially right. the tilt shift lens and stuff too. So, you know, he like 
Fincher had a you know such a relationship with the uh, red people at this point, the camera manufacturers. A former a guy who started Oakley is actually the guy who started Red. Oh, okay, cool. yeah, he made a right. fortune selling sunglasses, and then was like, I want to do, I want to make movie cameras. Cameras, all right. Yeah. Uh, so <clears throat> anyway, he you know Fincher formed a relationship with them pretty early on. They were he kind of was like their champion. Yeah. Um, him and uh, Soderbergh. Right. But uh, he just uh, this was apparently like on a Friday. And he like called up the guy, the CEO of Red, and was like, "Hey, here's the problem we're having. Like, you know, it's just weighs too much. Is there, can you guys figure something out? Like, is there a way to make a lighter one?" Yeah. And um, like, I think he said on like Sunday night or like Monday morning, uh-huh. and, like the guy called him back and he was like, right, "We stayed at the office all weekend. I've got a fucking carbon fiber body Red sitting here. Just there's only one in the world. <laughs> we made it for you." Basically, just for this shot, you oh know, and so yeah, they were able to shift it out to him. It was light enough that they were able to like get it mounted on there, yeah, and all that. But again, this, you know, that kind of like you never would have been able to do that with a film camera, right? You know, because there's no way the the weight of the film magazine alone yes, is yes. going to be like too much, you yeah. know. But that was, I think, that was another kind of like key moment in a way that was like, wow, this, you know, this uh, this technology is so nimble. Mm-hmm. You know, that like we can really like iterate in a way that, you know, we can we can kind of like the way things have gone with a lot of digital cameras is like, you know, they've they've been broken down into pieces. Mm-hmm. That it's almost like, you know, you buy just the parts you need right. uh, for this. So you get like a little box that's like that's the camera. It's yeah. got all the c- computing and guts in it, but you can make it as big or as small as you want with just like different add ons. And like that proved to be like the, you know, the advantage that digital had over film that like film could never replicate. Right. It's like you'd never be able to do that with film cameras, you know. So there's a lot of stuff that you could, you know, you literally wouldn't be able to shoot with a, a film camera. Mm-hmm. You would only be able to do this with digital. <laughs> and, um, you know, and this started, uh, this was like, I feel like a big turning point as far as like digital starting to move in that direction. Right. Not just in terms of like the aesthetics of like, we're no longer trying to just replicate what film looks like. We have mm-hmm. our own identity. Um, beyond that, it was even just like the tech and the physical object itself, Yeah, you know, could differentiate itself in that way. And in that sense, it took on an identity as a physical object as well. Okay. You know, that, um, that played to its strengths instead of, again, just trying to emulate a camera that everyone knows what it looks like. Because that's what we think of when we think of a movie camera. You yeah, know, it yeah. looks a certain way. Now you buy a camera and it's a fucking cube. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it looks <laughs> nothing like what you would think a movie right, camera right. would look like, yeah. and because that's what digital can do, you mm-hmm. know, um, it's just like any other piece of technology. You know, it's just going to get like smaller and more powerful. Yeah, and uh, you know, we're just going to ideal again. Nothing, you know, having better tools at your disposal does not necessarily produce better art, <laughs> right, <laughs> or better right. work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, <laughs> it's all about the creativity. But it's just creating. It's just breaking down barriers, creating more opportunities for like you know the next person who does have that really brilliant breakthrough creativity, mm-hmm. creative idea. Um, you know, is there's that much better of a chance that they're actually gonna be able to pull it off. Yeah. You know, which uh, which is a good thing, and I, I credit this movie for doing for opening a lot of those doors over the past ten years to not just myself but mm-hmm. uh, countless other filmmakers in the same position of uh, you know trying to get a career off the ground in this fucking weird ass transitional time when nobody really fucking knows how anything works anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So Well, all right. Yeah. Well, that's it, man. So that's it. I think we that's that's the top 10. That's that's the top 10. That's the, that's the I big think one. We got we got a couple pretty solid lists there. I think so. Yeah. 
Yeah, very different. The only crossover is being uh, uh, Social Network and Once Upon a Time. Yeah. Everything else was exclusive to uh, yours or mine. Yeah. Which is nice as well. Yeah, it's really nice. I'm glad we didn't have, you know, two versions of the, you know, the same list in different orders. Yeah. <laughs> was, you know, so there were a few that I was putting down. I'm like, man, I feel like Bobby's going to have like under the skin on here. I was, might, dude, have, it might was, have moonlight on here. You know, that I was looking It was through. almost there. Yeah. No. Um, well, so yeah, let's call it one last question for you. Oh shit. Yeah. Bonus round. Quick bonus round. All right. Least favorite film of the decade. Oh shit! No explanation, just a title. Fuck. We just need to drop a turd on the decade, you know. Been saying so many nice things about the 2010s. There was some also fucking garbage that came out. I know mine. Yeah. I didn't have it premeditated, but I thought I was like I should ask this, and then I was like, what's mine? Oh, I know. <laughs> God, my least favorite film. Like I just didn't like. Yeah, I don't like it you for know? whatever reason. For whatever Doesn't, reason. Yeah, just fucking movie that you hated. Damn. Um, I give you mine. Get the ball rolling. Yeah. What's up? What is yours? Chirac, close runner-up. Suspiria. <laughs> okay. Yep. Um, I would say maybe my runner-up is. Uh, God, I'm trying to think of the whole. Because you know me, I don't really, I don't, I don't hate a lot of stuff. No, I know. I don't. But I know there's a couple. Yeah, I, I might say my runner-up is uh, episode nine. Star Wars, yeah. Yeah, my runner-up is episode nine. Like, yeah. I, yeah, I fucking hate that movie. <laughs> I just, I hate it yeah. so much. What about, where does the Predator rank in comparison? I'd, I'd watch the Predator before Star Wars. Okay, oh, nice. I would. Wow. I would watch right. the Predator before Star Damn, Wars. Okay. I'll tell you what, I'd fucking buy the Predator <laughs> for $20 at Best Buy before watching, before renting episode nine for yeah. $5.99 on iTunes. <laughs> Are you um, upset that it's going to be part of your box set when you buy it? Probably, yeah. It's going to be just, there. You know. Just American Beauty, that disc. Just fucking... <laughs> they snap so easy, man. Uh, it feels so good. I gotta. Uh, I think my number one might be... Uh, I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure it came out this decade. I think it might be um, Suicide Squad. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Suicide Squad. I had. I was excited for that movie. Mm-hmm. Like, everything about that movie should have worked. Yeah. Everything. And it just... Well, except for the David Ayers part. I, I mean, I was, I'm, I'm a David Ayer fan. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I will, regardless of everything, like I'll still go see or you know press play on anything he makes because yeah. I just, I, it's, I just want to see what happens now. Yeah. You know, but, uh, yeah, I was even excited for David Ayer. I was like, yeah, this, this all makes sense right, yeah. for me right now, like all of it. But, I mean, it's the one movie that I, I got sober watching. <laughs> I had like a solid buzz going. Yeah, I was good. I was feeling amazing, <laughs> and I got sober watching it. Yeah, yeah, and, and I was on a date, and it just, it just, man, that's rough. It was. Do you know? I was hoping to have a good like post evening. Mm-hmm. Just, just drink some more. Talk about how great this movie was. Yeah, this fucking just random action movie. No, no, I was just distraught. It's nonsense. Yeah, I was disappointed. Well, uh, well, thank you everybody for listening to our um, episode. Or yeah, in or, yeah or, episode or episodes. Or episodes. <laughs> Depending on how this... All pans out. Yeah. Five hours and ten minutes gets broken up. Yeah. Uh, I say just release it as is. Yeah, I just do, do just five hours. Export all five hours of it. <laughs> Be the easiest episode I've ever read. Yeah. 
I'm sure there's some buzzers. It's like we took a couple pauses or like whatever. Yeah, I can cut that out or I had to like look something up. Um, but yes, thank you for listening. Dorian, thank you for doing this. Thank you for oh, putting yeah. together a list. Absolutely. Thanks for was, doing, taking the time. It was a, uh, it was a brutal pleasure. That's all I got. Yeah. I'm spent. This is a lot. Done. <laughs> this is the longest episode we've ever done. Yeah, by far. Oh yeah. God. Yeah. This is the, this is the longest episode by far by like two of our longest episodes yeah. up till now. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, all right. Well, thanks everybody for listening, and yeah. uh, we will we will keep this train running. Yeah. Happy 2020s, y'all. Here yes. we are. Bye. <laughs>